Welcome to Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives, a podcast by and about the spirituality of the richly diverse Milwaukee Christians who are all connected to little, bold Redeemer Church in the heart of the city on Wisconsin Avenue. I'm Lisa bates Froyland, pastor of Redeemer, and since 2011, I've been on a journey with the incredible people you'll meet on this podcast each week. I always say there are no dull people at Redeemer, and thanks be to God for that. Even during this pandemic, our Redeemer lives, and we are living our Redeemer lives. Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives is sponsored by Jeff One Row Designs. For more than 15 years, the creative team at Jeff One Row Designs has been handcrafting liturgical textiles. Their processional banners and seasonal banners grace sanctuaries across the country. Their frontals and pyramids adorn altars and lecterns in churches of all sizes. Clergy love their pastor stoles, I have three myself, deacon stoles, and other vestments too. They are proud to include Episcopal, Presbyterian, Methodist, ELCA Lutheran, United Church of Christ, Disciples of Christ, Unitarian, and Roman Catholic faithful among their clients. Interfaith and non-denominational clergy love the inclusivity of their designs. So whether you are shopping for the smallest accessory or reevaluating your entire collection of vestments and pyramids, Jeff One Row Designs would be honored to work with you to create something perfect for you. Jeff One Row Designs, W U N R O W, making ordinary time extraordinary since 2005. When you order, be sure to enter the coupon code REDEEMERLIVES15. To close out this season of the podcast, Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives, I asked the Reverend Gary Johnson to come by and share with us an audio essay. Gary Johnson has 45 years of ordained ministry now in the near rearview mirror, and uh, I have to confess I'm a surprised whenever a retired pastor comes in to worship at Redeemer. It must be difficult, I think, for a retired pastor to become the worshiper in the pews and uh, to do enough of the shutting down of that part of them that, that says, well, I would have done it that way, or why are they doing this now? That kind of uh, psychological noise. And to become, once again, a, a true worshiper, one who can and sit by, certainly be active. Worship is an activity, um, but also to allow the word to descend on them, um, to bathe them, to nourish them. And so I was honored when Gary and his wife, Krista, became regular worshipers and members of Redeemer Lutheran Church. Uh, Reverend Gary Johnson he speaks in poetry. There have been so many times in conversations with him when I just think, how did you pick those words and those phrases just now as you're having a conversation? So the language in the essay you're about to hear is beautiful and meaningful and will take you to places spiritually that uh, you may not have been prepared to go. And the timing is just right because it is Palm Sunday and the entryway into some of the deepest and most stirring days of the church as we follow Jesus's journey into Jerusalem, up to the upper room, the arrest in the garden, and everything else 
that unfolds, finally leading to a resurrection day. So please uh, take your time, breathe deeply, and enjoy this audio essay by the Reverend Gary Johnson. As a pastor, I always found Palm Sunday awkward and a bit embarrassing. Gathering in the narthex, handing out palms, processing self-consciously into the sanctuary, trying to replicate Jesus' entry in Jerusalem. It all seemed forced and staged, with little, if any, emotional connection to what uh, we were either celebrating or mourning, depending on whether the congregation understood it as Palm Sunday, celebration, or Passion Sunday, an ominous portent of the week ahead. Then the procession itself, with people balancing hymnals precariously in one hand while trying to wave a palm branch in the other, all the while eyeing their seat in the pew that belongs to them and hoping the processional chaos doesn't lead to someone else sitting in, in quotes, their seat. Personally, I just wanted it all to be over, all the glory, laud, and honor, so that we could get down to business. All four Gospels agree there was a triumphant entry into Jerusalem. There was a small donkey, and depending on the Gospel, varying numbers of people shouting, Hosanna, and tossing branches, in some cases, even their cloaks onto the road in front of Jesus. I was never much into this story until two very different things happened to me. The first occurred in Omaramergau, Germany, where I was fortunate enough to witness the Passion Play. This is the town that holds an elaborate, operatic, dramatic recreation of the Passion of Christ. All the actors, singers, musicians, must be residents of Omaramergau. The townspeople have been putting this play on every 10 years since 1634. In 1633, the residents vowed they would perform the play if their village was spared the Black Plague. It was, and they have, they have made good on their vow for 400 years. The opening scene is Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. He is surrounded by shouting and excited village children, not child actors, local children. Watching this unfold, I began to weep. The children's enthusiasm and joy struck me, pierced me, really, in a place within me I didn't know existed. Those kids dressed in simple cloth and sandals, leaping and running, cheering and laughing, exhibited an unmitigated joy I had never associated with Passion Sunday. Their portrayal of that spontaneous joy was born of hope. A people in need of a savior had found one, and the little children seemed the first to recognize him for who he was. I have never gotten over the intensity of my feeling in that moment. Though I was never able to translate it into my ministry on Palm Sunday, 
Those tears on my face and the sounds of the children made a lasting impression. It introduced me to the meaning of the phrase, tears of joy. And it connected me to my own hope that Christ could repair my soul, that he came to save me, us, all of us. The second event occurred in Jerusalem. I was on a pilgrimage with my best friend to see what we could see. We were best friends to the marrow of our bones. Dick placed my stole upon me at my ordination. He performed my wedding. I baptized his daughter. We went to seminary together and several years after seminary ended up in Detroit, me in an affluent suburb afflicting the comfortable, he in the bowels of Detroit comforting the afflicted. We formed a congregational partnership in which white folks and black folks worked together in worship, neighborhood ministry, and winding our way down the thorny paths of racism, poverty, and affluence. Much was learned, friendships were made, hard work was done. Our personal relationship was even more intimate and intense. Dick called me every Sunday morning, even when he was in New York and I was in Michigan. These calls spanned 27 years. We would talk about the lessons and the sermons we would preach. His sermon, always well-crafted and insightful, mine yet to be formed. He knew this about me and made sure I got my sometimes hungover butt out of bed to start thinking about some kind of sermon. It was a dark time in my life. I was divorced, alone, and childless. I thought dark thoughts, brushed up against death, didn't know how to care for myself. But every Sunday morning, that phone would ring, and his softness and lack of judgment kept me going. I tell you this to give you a sense of what it meant for the two of us to find ourselves sitting on ancient stone steps at the southern edge of the Temple Mount, a mount with a history of blood and fire, a mount full of devotion and reverence, hope and desperation, sacrifice and ritual. These steps, both original and restored, date to the time of Jesus. His sandals touched these stones. When Dick and I were there, this part of the holy city wasn't a big tourist draw, so we found ourselves mostly alone, sitting in the afternoon sun, feeling the warmth of the stones and feeling much more. Many believe Jesus walked these steps as mandated by Jewish law. They are known as the steps of ascent, and as pilgrims came for Passover, priests would be at the top of the stairs reciting the Psalms of ascent. In these Psalms, Psalms 120 through 134, we find words and phrases that reassure us God is tenderly watching over us 
From Psalm 121, we read, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. That is how I felt about those Sunday morning phone calls from Dick. They kept me from evil. They were a lifeboat I crawled into to keep myself physically alive, spiritually alive. And now, here we were, in Jerusalem of all places, a place and time we never imagined being, let alone a time we would end up there together. If you're asking yourself at this point, what does this have to do with my crying in Oberammergau, it would be a fair question. The answer is complicated. It has to do with faith, those pesky things the author of Hebrews calls the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It has to do with the unmitigated joy of the village children in Omeralmergau surrounding Jesus on the little donkey. It has to do with that ride into Jerusalem, that ride that was for Christians the biggest gift we'll ever receive. And it has to do with a profound sadness that descended in that moment on the steps in the warmth of the golden Jerusalem sun. As we sat together imagining Jesus climbing those steps, entering that city, it was hard not to be overcome by Jesus' determination to do the right thing for all of us. It was overwhelming to imagine how he must have felt knowing he was doomed from the very start. After his glorious run up in Galilee, where he preached and healed, touched and transformed so many, it was this place that would deliver his agony and abandonment while he refused to save himself. It was also here that my best friend chose to tell me he was dying. Of course he would tell me here. Is there a good place to tell your best friend that you're dying? Yes, on those steps that the risen Christ ascended so Dick might tell me this news, and it would mix together in a confusing melange of shock and denial and the conviction of things not seen. The long arc from Oberammergau to Jerusalem was complete. The tears I shed in Germany at the play were different from the tears I shed on the steps of Jerusalem, yet they were rooted in the same thing, hope. The hope those little children so artfully and unselfconsciously displayed on that stage was the same hope that would raise my best friend up in Christ. It didn't seem necessary to ask all the clinical questions. They would come later. What ensued was a holding of hands, drippy eyes, and deep silence. After that, it is still blurry for me. I think we helped each other ascend to the top of the steps, making our way where 2,000 years ago a priest would be chanting, 
In my distress, I cry to the Lord that he may answer me. We never spoke of that moment again. As the disease progressed, things changed. It was my turn to call. Every day on my way to work, every day, I would call Dick and then often ended up sitting in the church parking lot for another half hour because things needed to be said, stories needed to be told, memories needed to be revisited. Work could wait. We were consumed by our friendship. We lived far apart, but were able to get together one last time. He drove to Milwaukee from Detroit for this last time together. He wanted to see my wife and kids, wanted to be present, wanted us to know he was standing, standing tall. We had planned to go further north when he arrived, somewhere where we could be together without anyone around, not unlike sitting together on those steps in Jerusalem. That night he told me he wanted me to do his funeral. I refused. I couldn't imagine myself standing in front of hundreds of people conducting a funeral service for my best friend. He knew otherwise and just giggled his sweet, silly giggle when I offered up my lame and self-serving arguments for why I shouldn't do the funeral. After I got over myself, the conversation turned to what it was like for him to know his death was imminent. He said he imagined himself in the ground, feeling the cold earth against his shoulders in the narrow grave. But when he looked up from the grave, not yet closed, he could see the empty cross. That, he told me, unwaveringly and without a trace of self-pity, was what he was looking forward to, the knowing, knowing that Jesus walked into Jerusalem for him, knowing that Jesus knew something that everybody else missed, that there is no death in Christ Jesus, only life, this life we are living right now, the new life we will live later. Palm Sunday was never the same for me. It became so much more than palms and awkward attempts at liturgical reenactments. It became about giving whatever I could give. It is an annual reminder to me of my friends' unwavering faith in Jesus walking up to Jerusalem for me for him, for you. All my sins and gr griefs borne by Jesus while he walked up those steps. All the hope he brought that broke the gates of hell, death, and the devil. What is that worth to me? Everything. Everything I can spare and more.
Hey, if you liked what you heard today, first of all, great. If you liked it so much that you'd like to support us with a financial gift, please go to our website, RedeemerMilwaukee.org. There you will see links to our YouTube services, information on how we're trying to serve our neighbors during the hardships of this pandemic, and yes, the donate button. Thanks in advance for the help. Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives is a podcast of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm Lisa Bates-Froyland, your host, Aaron Musser, editor, sound designer, and engineer. Meredith Seip wrote and performed our theme. Join us again next week. Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives is sponsored in part by Outreach for Hope, a nonprofit organization that supports life-giving ministries who serve low-income communities in the Greater Milwaukee Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Outreach for Hope grants have supported Redeemer Ministries for over 10 years. Until next time, peace be with you, peace be within you, and may peace be among us all. Goodbye. Goodbye.